wise to be heading away from the village? It's hard to imagine. You've served under me for seven years. I think it's time that we talked about you having your own command. I'm grateful, Captain. Though, I would be significantly more so if I thought we had any chance of ever returning to the ship. Just keep walking, Michael. What will you do if you were stuck here for 89 years? A likely scenario, unless we die here in the desert. But say you lived. As a xenoanthropologist, I could reveal myself to the natives, learn their culture, try to fit in. If possible. And you, Captain? What will you do if we're trapped here for 89 years? That's easy. I'd escape. Strange new takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and with me in coffins attached to the Klingon sarcophagus ship are Adam Bowen, Emily Bowen Marlar, and Rudy Kusbaker. Welcome to Strange New Takes. We're excited to continue our series on the pilots of each Star Trek series. Today, we're going to recap the two-episode premiere of Star Trek Discovery, The Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars. And so do follow us on social media. That's where everybody is nowadays, huh? Yeah, so Strange New Takes, at the rate, Strange New Takes, Facebook, Insta, Twitter. These are the places where you can keep in touch with us. Do tell your friends about the pod. Um, we love getting new listeners and, and we want to grow um, the conversation. Uh, also, um, make sure you give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That's how we are actually discovered by new people and and um you know we we do want more people to listen to us so if you'll believe that (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah and so this is the first time where i don't have to be ironic about uh uh spoiler warning here because it's it's entirely possible that you haven't jumped on the train yet and started watching discovery and uh i just say like you should actually give these ones a a watch like i think this is an incredible pilot and uh but yeah we're gonna get straight into spoiler territory so uh if you're open to it just keep going with us and i'll just add welcome to all of our new listeners every week we seem to get just a few more so thanks for joining us each week i do appreciate y'all listening in but why don't we start with our strange new takes who wants to go first I think I'll probably get us started out here. Um, I the the thing that's that's so interesting for me watching this pilot is I there seems to be such a different vision for the Klingons. What not just from the rest of uh, Star Trek so far, but kind of from the rest of Discovery after this. Uh, and I I would be really interested to see like in the alternate universe where uh, Brian Fuller stayed on as the uh, the showrunner because it kind of feels to me. Like the writers didn't get any notes as to what's going on with the Klingons because we stopped talking about anything that makes them interesting after this pilot. Well, I think I will express in my strange new take some frustration on how shoe sizing works (laughs) and how inconsistent it is, number one, just normally speaking. Uh, across brands and whatnot and then if you're like me and you need orthotics to not have pain when you're running or working out or whatever 
uh, add the element of does this shoe have a removable insole and is there a removable insole the same size as my orthotics or do I have to size up? And suddenly you have created the most annoying experience on the planet. I am extraordinarily brand loyal with shoes as a result uh, by necessity. And I hope that's not something any of you ever have to experience uh, in your lives. But I think the thing that I always reflect on, and I reflect on it as I was starting the notes here, is just how long it seemed between Enterprise's cancellation and this show coming on along. Uh, it was 2017 that the show was made, and it was 2005 that Enterprise was canceled. That's 12 years. I guess it's a fairly long time, but it seemed like decades in my head. And especially looking at this, I also wrote down the years in which the Star Trek movies came out. And it's, it's 2005, 2009 is four years. Again, that seemed like 30 years in my head where I was like, Star Trek is never coming back. And then five years later, they were like, Star Trek is back. And that's not a very, very long time, four years. So anyway, I just, just reflecting on time when it comes to something that you passionately care about, things seem much longer than they maybe necessarily are. Okay, well, my strange new take would be, um, it's interesting how the second when you're getting ready to do something, you are suddenly needed by your dog or your child or your spouse. And that's, that's very funny. So my dog has finally settled down after disrupting the beginning of our podcast. <laughs> and my co-host probably saw me making faces and snapping and clapping at my dog, trying to get him to settle down while they're all doing their intros. But all is well now in my little corner of the house. So now I can share with you my strange new take on this episode. I feel that there was definitely a scene in this pilot. It was in the second episode um, that illuminates. I had forgotten about this scene and it really illuminates the, uh, maybe the foundation and the direction that the character of Michael Burnham takes. Um, from the start of this series on through the rest. When I saw that scene, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. This this has a really big impact on what we see unfold over the next several seasons. So it was it was kind of fun and interesting and, you know, enlightening to come back and see that because I'd forgotten. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm going to see if it's the same thing I'm talking okay. about. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, f I feel the same way, but I also don't know if it's the same thing or it has the, the same um, bias in terms of positive versus negative. Um, I will I will say, uh, independent of that, um, that I had forgotten how good this um, pilot was. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. Uh, I remember now I, I can... Because... As Not said, the previous um, series started so long ago, sometimes it's hard to remember how you felt when you saw um, a series pilot for the first time, especially for some of us who um, were, were in our childhood then. But I remember when uh, um, Burnham and, and, and the captain are walking through the desert, and I was so excited to mm -hmm. see Star yeah. Trek again. I saw the, the, the intro credits. Um, and I, I'll go out on a limb again and say that I've not been a great fan of Discovery through the multiple seasons, but this, for me, this pilot was so good. It was touching upon things that, um, you know, tied to reality, rules of engagement. Maybe we'll go into examples later on. 
um, and how I felt enterprise also had potential in the pilot in, in, in reaching out and engaging entire civilizations. And that's not easy. Like this is, this is complex diplomacy. So yeah, really good. And the production value. Oh yeah. I had forgotten about that as well. Oof. Really yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. This is very interesting. I'm glad we start with strange new takes because I always I get a little flavor of what's to come later. And it's always interesting when everybody I feel like is going to disagree with me. So it's great. <laughs> That's that. There's a little taste of Minnesota passive aggressiveness for everybody. All right. Let, let's go into our, our more in-depth discussion. As, as we've been doing previously, we're going to set the stage for discovery. We've made a jump, folks. We've made a big jump. I don't think we... The, when we did TNG, I think we kind of acknowledged the big jump. But this is another big one. Uh, 12 years. Um, Enterprise, of course, canceled in 2005 with the fantastic holodeck episode. That was really an episode of TNG. Emily's shaking her head. <laughs> um, so, it was just mean to the cast of Enterprise, let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, yep. it's 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 like they, they they finish a show and it was all in the little crystal ball, you know, that famous TV show that ended that way, whose name I can't remember. Anyway, um, and we had the, the, the 2009 movie. Somehow in my head, Discovery happened while that the three movie arc of J.J. Abrams' movies was still going on. But it actually is it. This series released the year after Star Trek Beyond. And I want to ask you all what your feelings were about that gap in Star Trek TV shows between 2005 and 2017. I mean, I, I, I'm completely with you there on the feeling like it was forever. I, I think the thing that, that compounded that was that uh, Star Trek Nemesis came out before uh, the end of Enterprise and basically canceled itself. Uh, so, <laughs> like, just... I, I, it felt like uh, we were sort of... that the Star Trek franchise had killed itself sort of uh, compounding failure after failure. Mm -hmm. uh, and like we had, we've talked before about uh, Voyager having like lower ratings and that uh, sort of enterprise like getting canceled. It, it, it just felt like there's so much going against it that uh, kind, kind of to the point that like, oh, maybe no one will ever take it up again. Uh, so like seeing that that first moment of Star Trek 2009, like having the 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 preview coming out with the the welding of the Enterprise, like I, I like the world changed and became like a, a happy place possible again. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's I, uh, I I'm completely with you that this felt like forever. <laughs> you know, I'm so interested to see I, I have this idea in my head. Um, that Star Trek kind of lost its way for a while and has been trying to find its way back to itself. And I have this great hope that that's going to happen in Strange New Worlds. Um, I don't know if it will. There's glimpses of it in the newer stuff. And I'm not a hater of any of the new stuff. I'm, I'm not. I, I think I've said before, my favorite Star Trek is whichever one I'm watching right now. You know, I just, I love Star Trek. If it's Star Trek, I'm going to watch it. And I'm going to enjoy it, um, even though I'm going to have some episodes I like less than others. Um, but generally, I really like it. Um, so and, and that was um, like I, and actually, I felt like the movies, the, the new movies, the J.J. Abrams ones that came out, I felt like that Star Trek was starting to come back to itself with uh, Beyond. 
Mm -hmm. I liked that one the best. I I loved the first one because the casting was phenomenal. Um, but the, but I really, I liked, I thought the story of beyond was really compelling. I remember Adam and I went to dinner after we Mm -hmm. were like, our spouses were like, you know, they, they know That's Star fine. Trek a little bit, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Adam and I were like geeking out, like throwing out all these references. And, and, yeah. um, so anyway, but, and, and so that's, um, it was, it's just always exciting when there's new Star Trek. Cause I feel like it's the, I think the world is craving it. And so it was time. It was time. Yeah. I'm yeah. actually currently watching beyond. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, it begins you're watching it like while we record. If you see, if I seem distracted occasionally, it's because I'm watching a really cool scene in Beyond. So just don't worry about it. Okay. Um, well, l- the the next thing thing we need to quickly talk about is how this show was conceived by who, and then who actually ended up making it because those are not all the same person. Uh, first of all, Star Trek has gone through a major break in creative forces between Enterprise being canceled, Rick Berman and Brian Baga out. Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orki, Orchi, Orki, I don't know, I've never heard his name being Orsi? said. Orsi were, were instrumental in the movies. Kurtzman was made into the lead of the, the, the Star Trek franchise for TV. And the showrunner for the show with Kurtzman, or rather he was brought in as the showrunner, I think with Kurtzman as kind of like a co-head of Star Trek. Anyway, it was Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller started his career with DS9 and Voyager. He had all these ideas for a new Star Trek show, and he was brought in. Uh, Nicholas Meyer, who wrote, uh, or not wrote, directed uh, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, was a consultant writer initially uh, for the show. And and a lot of, if you go and back and read about Discovery being created, it's a lot of like, and Brian Fuller wanted this, and Brian Fuller said this, and Brian Fuller thought he would blah de blah Um... Unfortunately, Brian Fuller didn't do any of those things because about right before production was be- to begin, CBS was like, yeah, bro, you are like completely overstretched. We need to get you away from this. So they asked him to step down. They added Akiva Goldsman, who had worked with uh, Brian Fuller and other stuff. So that's where Akiva Goldsman got his start on the franchise. He got brought into Discovery. And um, they decided to, to, to take, take Brian Fuller out of the situation. They then added uh, uh, two other folks, Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts, uh, who had gone on to do great things with Discovery for many seasons, as was anticipated. Right, folks? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. They they didn't get uh, thrown out of the uh, out of for the seat at all, or, or anything like that. Yeah. So they treated it, everyone really, really well, and and they didn't make any mistakes. Yeah, and and that's yeah. why season two ends up being so consistent throughout the entire time, and that we there's <laughs> there's no like jarring changes. That that like the episode three, it just fits in really well with the rest of it. So. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> Wait, w- wasn't there also a change during season one, like halfway through season one? Wasn't there like half of season one had been written or was that the, the and That the was change? season two. Okay. It was season two. There's, I, th- I think it's like right around episode seven is when the okay. showrunners changed in season two. But, you know, I, I don't know about you all. So I remember, you all will remember, you know, you're, you're younger than me, but now we're all old enough that 2017, we were all adults paying attention to this stuff. Right. So, um, as opposed to the other ones where you all were like kids and I was like, <laughs> not quite a little kid, but, um, so the, 
I want to sit down. I remember all this stuff and the excitement over Brian Fuller being the showrunner and being like, oh, yeah, it's someone who really it's kind of going back to that golden age of Star Trek, Mm -hmm. you know, with DS9 and Voyager. And so being really excited about that, I want to sit down with Brian Fuller and say what from the two episodes at the beginning came from you. What were things that they added? I want to know, did he always plan to have Michael Burnham be, um, uh, be, uh, to commit mutiny? Like, did he always plan that she was going to be sentenced and set to prison for life at the end of the episode? Did, you know, I just, I want to know. Mm, I haven't considered that questions. particular part. Yeah. Cause it, it so, it's yeah. Big spoiler. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, people are supposed to watch this before that. So, uh, and just just uh, the spoiler. Akiva Goldsman also did not return for for season two because he clashed with the writing staff. So it was just a gigantic mess. Yeah. That Discovery was in, and uh, a lot of what Discovery started out being, or maybe perhaps going to be, didn't end up like actually being that way it was also meant to be the the flagship show for cbs all access like see and and so one of the reasons brian fuller was canned was because he kept pushing out the production date and the cbs people were like yo we need our flagship show for the streaming service that we have where is it he's like no Uh, i need to i need to be the showrunner on like seven different other shows also because i'm an amazing genius and can do everything all at once do you all remember when the original talk about the series was that it was going to be an anthology series? So each season was going to be different and perhaps yeah. even different eras, um, you know, so not just different stories contained, but but yeah. actually jumping around to different eras of. And, know, and, we, like and we and anyway. we sort of ended up with that with with season three. So I, I wonder if we're going to accidentally <laughs> end up with Brian Fuller's like original vision. <laughs> The timeship discovery. <laughs> well, let's go to the Babylon 5 universe after that. Huh? And then um, we can be wibbly wobbly and we can just, you know. <laughs> they go to Battlestar Galactica and they're like, your show ended poorly. We're here to fix it. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, but but so so a lot of this stuff that, that the show was conceived as maybe never, never actually made it into the show. But there are some things that Brian Fuller wanted. For example, he wanted to curse. He's a really dirty man. No, that's not not true. I'm kidding. He he just said that the show was not held to broadcast standards and practices. So you don't have so to they, worry about it. Right. Uh, there was some like, hmm, maybe Section 31 is going to show up in here somewhere. He hinted at that. He and said maybe that they the female, will say the F word. Right? Uh, uh, and then then I feel like there's this this note I'm about to read is in every one that I've, I've done. I've written the notes for all these episodes. And it's like every time they're like, you know, in this version of Star Trek, we're going to have our characters be more conflicted and, and they're not going to be as perfect as Gene Roddenberry wrote them. Uh, and, and so that was that was something that they wanted. Uh, yeah. Berg yeah. and Harperts. Part of the tradition. Yeah. And uh, Brian Fuller It was just wanted... representative of their own personalities as they were not very kind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. They wrote they what we... they knew. <laughs> Channel that resentment, yeah. Right. And Brian Fuller wanted some changes to the Klingons. Yeah, and I I feel like uh, so it, he was he was adamant about like that. It, I there's this whole uh, need to change their makeup and like have a new uh, sort of re envisioning of the Klingons. We had we've had sort of mentions in the previous uh, series about like that there's different great houses and all that stuff, but like basically everyone's just like a normal Klingon who's going to scream about honor. 
about uh, basically at any every single opportunity. And so part of the idea here was that we were going to have unique looking Klingons and uh, something about the great houses that actually looked different between them. I also feel that every time we've had an engagement after a long time with the Klingons or even with the Romulans in TNG, there is that sense of dread and it's sort of, you know, um, layered in, in dread, but respect of a potential nemesis and then somehow especially with the Klingons it's all solved by a trip to Kornos in, in front of the high council and and you know <laughs> things are good and humanity has proven itself this is the first time at least for me where it literally felt like a, a complicated situation minute by minute when you wouldn't know what's going to happen and I'll, I'll even draw a parallel I don't know if we come back to it later but there have been some really um, stressful times between um, India and China on the northern bo- border where they're, neither side really knows what the other side is going to do, what they want to do, what's the safest thing to do. Um, and and it's, it's a tinderbox kind of situation, right? Like these are two nuclear powers. And we've had some really close calls in the last uh, 20 months or so. So I almost saw that here. Um, and, and I respected that. That was good, good, uh, good watching for me, um, in how Burnham and, and, um, uh, Michelle, you reacted to it. Well, I have different opinions there, but that whole setup was, was really good. And, and yeah, it, it was a growing dread without like, Hey, there's a quick fix coming around the corner. Yeah. And, and I think part of how they accomplished that is, uh, so I, I, even though maybe it's it seems weird to just give us like completely different Klingons than what we've had before, what compelled me so much about about this was that we we seem to be seeing the this the founding of a new Klingon religion. Not not necessarily that everything is going to be different from how it was before, but we're we're Takuvma is the reincarnation of Kalish and is going to be able to unify the the Klingons and has a has a view of the Federation that I think is really. Uh, just one of the best arguments against the Federation uh, that anybody has, which is so- sort of like this, he sees the, F- the Federation as kind of the um, uh, driving force of what, what we've talked about before, or not, not on this podcast, but uh, in terms of the sort of the great American melting pot where like everyone is going to become a uh, sort of the same uh, ov- over time. The, uh, the Federation is an assimilating force. Like the the uh, Takuvma sees the Federation as the Borg, and it, it, that that is just such a cool vantage point. That like during this entire pilot, I'm just getting like so hyped up and excited about like oh we're gonna get deep into like uh, this new Klingon culture. We're gonna like th- these are like Klingon Puritans who are gonna like uh, reform the the Empire. Like I'm so excited, and then uh, we forget about it immediately well they also what? killed takuma at the end of this yeah. Like, yeah he doesn't get much of an arc for himself the, the other just one quick note i want to throw in here which is that part of the visual redesign was done before this actually there was a deleted scene from star trek 2009 that featured klingons and jj abrams wanted his klingons to be wearing helmets 
Mm-hmm. So all so we'd, we'd seen like these very different Klingons. And then, of course, in Star Trek Into Darkness, we got to see them without their helmets on. And the design notes from that Klingon experience were kind of integrated into this one uh, as well. So uh, and I think something that I guess I hadn't missed, Rudy, is something you just pointed out, which is the viciousness of the Klingons, I think, is reinforced with this redesign. And I'll be perfectly honest that until Rudy had said that I was not a big fan of it now I kind of understand the value of it I think the problem I have is that we got rid of that viciousness and had you know Laurel and Voke and all these guys doing completely non-vicious stuff later on and they became friends and so but I could see the value of making the Klingons what they wanted to to have in the story, which is a vicious enemy that is unpredictable and that we need to fear, which is yeah, which is, and, and I and I, and I think kind of what 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 makes me think that maybe this was just the Brian Fuller thing and no one else was in on it is it the rest of Discovery seems to be like oh no sorry 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 uh, I mean they are it's the TNG Klingons just as you knew them like uh, yeah the, the whole uh, uh, the way that they're portrayed in the second season especially is just like nothing to see here they they turned back to how we remember them the end except except so i the the thing i appreciate about the way they present the klingons in this uh pilot is that it's it's not about like the driving force in tng and everything after is honor right that's what the klingons are fighting for you don't really get the feeling that they're they're necessarily fighting to preserve uh uh, not land um, territory or that they're fight. you know, they're just fighting for honor. Like that's, it's all honor, 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 honor. And this one you feel like, no, they're fighting to preserve their culture. Like mm, they, yeah. they see that um, basically, uh, so I'm right now in the middle of listening to mission log, which is going through deep space nine. Um, so some of the things that they talk about kind of highlight, but they're just what they were talking about a gold Ducat episode that I was listening to this morning. You know how, um, the Bajorans see the Cardassians as an occupying force, but you have the Cardassian specifically is exemplified in Golducott. He sees himself as not a liberator, but he mm-hmm. he sees himself as a great protector yeah. of they're his uh, children. of the Bajorans, and you know they're his children. They don't realize what I was doing for them. I was giving them a better life. And I was like, as I'm watching this pilot, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like how the Federation and the Klingons, it's like the Klingons are the Bajorans and the Federation are the Cardassians. And it's just interesting because we obviously, well, maybe not obviously, most of us identify, I would say, probably with the Federation. You know, we see the Federation as a force for good and and does all this. But but it's just so interesting when you see... um, when you see a culture that's looking at the Federation, not as a force for good, but as yeah. colonizers. Um, anyway, so just interesting. I want to, I want to move us into talking about the story and writing now. And mm-hmm. the, the first thing to say is these two episodes are technically the pilot. And while we were, when, when in our internal deliberations, Adam was like, are these the pilots? Do you want to watch something else? Uh, Cause <laughs> These two have such kind of a compact story and truly the the story of Star Trek Discovery starts with the next episode, the third episode, mm-hmm. but it's called Context is for Kings, or or which I guess is kind of true in this discussion. The context of this is that this is a self-contained episode, but they're the first two episodes of Discovery to drop. People form mm-hmm. their opinions of this show based on that. And there are a ton of people within this Discovery franchise who call this 
a pilot. So that's why we're doing these two. Maybe someday we'll do context of Stricking. That day is not today. I'm not going to read out the summaries of these two episodes. I think you can go and basically see. Basically, Michael Burnham and friends uh, decide to start a war with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. The end. Um, and so not true, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they don't actually decide to start a war with the Klingons. The Klingons decide to start a war with them. True. Very true. Um, but... We talked a little bit about what this store, what what the what the redesign was trying to establish for the Klingons. I want to talk about what else this these two episodes are trying to set up for the rest of the series, and I, I want to talk about that first because I think everything that comes later, we should talk about in the context of what this episode, what we think it was trying to set up, and I think the first thing that we have to talk about is the character of Michael Burnham. Yeah. Because that's the only, like, one of the things that I found, um, we're going to talk about Michael Burnham, but I'm going to mention George O. Because I think George O is a driving force for Michael Burnham. So mm-hmm. I think it'll tie in. But um, that was one of the things when this episode ends, or when these two episodes end, it's really unfortunate because I want to know more about George O. And obviously that's not going to happen. But they, yeah. I think they did a good job of developing this captain and I mean, and I felt this way the first time I saw the show. I just was really gutted that they killed this captain. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to be the captain of the show. I like Jason Isaacs fine, but um, but I wanted I wanted Philippa Giorgio to be the captain, and um, and but obviously they kind they don't they don't fridge her, but they kind of do, like in some ways. But but that's not really what drives Michael. What drives Michael is her desire to save. Giorgio and her crew because she sees that um, she knows what the Klingons are going to do. And so, so she wants to try to preempt that. Where, where where do you think that the writers wanted our feelings towards Burnham to be by the end of this episode? Like, wh- I mean, what was I the think, goal? I think they wanted us to be gutted with her. Okay. I mean, because you the the way I mean, I felt just as not just as bad. Obviously, I don't have a seven year relationship with uh, Philippa Giorgio. But um I mean, like when Mike, when uh, Saru beams Michael back, and she's mm. on the transporter pad, and she like yeah. beats the. Pa- I mean, like that's gutting, and so you, um, and and just the way that Michael accepts her, um, the sentencing and all of that is just. I mean, she's just utterly given up because she's lost her friend and her, you know. So so clearly that's something that's kind of establishing her, um, but they also, I mean, you get this whole you see where the savior complex of Michael Burnham comes from, which we've talked about as we reviewed season three of discovery, but it totally happens in that uh, battle of the binary stars. Is this, should I talk about, this is the spot I was going to talk about. Sure. Let's do it. In my, that I teased in my earlier. And also, well, well, actually, you know, let's, let's hold that for a second. Cause I do want to keep us moving along. What we, what we think this episode is trying to make us do. I'll add to the Burnham thing, just saying we wanted beat her down to like to being a very low status character Mm -hmm. in terms of the other characters perceptions of her we want her Mm -hmm. to be kind of disliked by the other characters later in the series Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah and and, and, so i'm I'm gonna pitch that and 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 even on on like just a the usual like writer technique is we're we're gonna create the she's gonna be the outsider uh, for when we have maybe a, a, what you could say is the pilot for the series of context of is for kings, where where Michael Burnham has no rank and or anything and is just 
uh, sort of an observer, uh, so we can have everything sort of explained or uh, discovered in in the rest of the series without it being a like, wait, why are you saying the names of everybody? Or like, why are you establishing your relationship whenever you walk into the room? Kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so yes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to jump in and say that, I mean, there's definitely an, uh, an attempt to have us um, follow Michael and and understand the logic of what she's doing. They give that background. They're they're introducing to uh, they're introducing um, her to us the same way Spock is introduced um, in two, in the two thousand nine movie, and and we're with her right when she is on that um, Klingon um, relic right, and she encounters that 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 uh, soldier. And she happens to kill him. We're with her, um, mm-hmm. but I, I think again, like the whole savior complex. I, I was hoping that they would, they would set her up because she has so much logic. And and I think uh, Philippa Giorgio brings it up that I was, I was thinking that your weakness will be your logic, but it was your humanity. Um, I was, I was hoping that she would have a little more finesse in how she would communicate why she was wanting to do what she was wanting to do. I keep trying to just keep us on like what we think the writers wanted to do. And we keep talking about how they did it. And I'm going to try one last time and then give up. <laughs> okay. It doesn't work. Okay. So we talked about Burnham and what they were trying to do set up with Burnham. The other thing I think that they wanted to achieve by this end of this episode is have the Klingons and the humans be at war. Now, this is a critical thing we've learned about in TOS. The Klingons and humans have had a fought a war. They don't like each mm-hmm. other. How did that happen? We didn't see that in Enterprise. That is the goal of this mm-hmm. this prologue is to get us down that path. Um, we know how it happens. I mean, they they do establish that because uh, it, that they establish how they enter into the war, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying, yeah. like, when they started writing the story, what mm-hmm. are the what is the point B that they need to get us to from point A? Mm-hmm. And so the point B is set up Burnham's character as an underdog give us a sense of who she is, have us empathize with her and her goals, give us a sense of her loss, set up the Klingon and human war, and mm-hmm. establish the Klingon culture as more than just, and you, you mentioned this, Emily, a second ago, yeah. it's not just Anna, 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 like uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lord Dex had it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but but so it's, it's a little bit more complex and give us a new view. Are there other things that Discovery sets up as threads that need to be pulled in the next episode? That this that the that the writers are setting up as uh, as themes. You know, it's so hard to. I think it would. It's hard to say that if you are talking about it from the perspective of. Are we talking about this as people who have seen all of Discovery and are now no. looking back? We're talking about it as people who are watching Discovery for the first time. If we can see the themes, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to think like what what were the writers setting out to achieve by this by the end of this episode? Where did they want the audience to be? Like, what did they want the audience to understand? And and I'm trying to think. I think there's maybe one other thing, which is they want Saru and Burnham to really hate each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Because they have them fighting throughout this episode in yeah. increasing amounts. That's of... what I was getting ready to mention was the Saru Burnham dynamic. So, do you okay. ever feel like they were kind of trying to hearken to Spock and McCoy between those two? Not exactly, but they just—they're so. 
Yeah, they were they, just they, at each other all the time. What, 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 yeah, I, I think they wanted to create that kind of character dynamic uh, in in them, where yeah, like you said, it's it's not exactly the same roles or anything, but having that like easy banter back and forth with some antagonism, mm-hmm. and definitely from this episode, it just goes into straight like hate. Uh, but um, yeah, okay. So, so now that we've established where we think we need to be, I'm going to have us take us a break right here, and then we'll come back and see if they actually got us there. Takuvma has anointed himself the next Klingon Messiah. If you kill him, you make him a martyr. Someone they can fight for endlessly. It might even be what he wants. But if you capture him, you make him a symbol of defeat, of shame. And if you take him as a prisoner of war, where you give the Federation leverage to sue for peace, how could you have done this? I believed it was the only way to avoid a full-scale war. When you first came aboard seven years ago, I worried your Vulcan training might someday trump your humanity. Do you know why Sarek asked me to take you up? I was a human who had seen a life of loss, but still chose hope. What an ego I had. Thinking I could pick away the shell the Vulcans put around you. I was so sure I could do it. Even convinced that you were ready for the captain's chair. To think I knew you so little. You want to know how I turned on you? I believed saving you and the crew was more important than Starfleet's principles. Was it logical? Emotional? Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're about to talk about what we thought about the story and writing of um, these two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. But I wanted to ask you, Emily, about the production on this episode visually, uh, just in general. How would you think? I just think it is so beautifully shot. And one of the ways I could tell it was beautifully shot was because my toddler decided he really wanted to watch Discovery with me. And I really don't want him to watch Discovery with me because I do not think it is appropriate for a three-year-old. And so he walks in. I was I had 24 minutes left that I had to watch today. And he walks in. He's like, ooh, mommy, what are you watching? <laughs> I said, I'm watching, I'm watching Discovery. <gasps> Can I? He climbs up next to me on the couch. And then he has all these questions about the Klingons. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, they're going to kill Giorgio in a minute. <laughs> It's going to be so bad. And, um, but, and I managed, we managed to divert him off enough. And then we put him on another Star Trek episode that had Klingons thinking that would, you know, assuage him from the fact that I took off the one where they were about to have a bloody battle and it just didn't captivate him. (laughs) But I think, but I really, I mean, it's, it's cinematically shot. It's just really incredibly beautiful. And I, I did notice they had a few of their little lens flares to harken back to J.J. Abrams' Star Trek because he loves the loves him some lens flare. But they didn't overdo the lens yeah, flare. It wasn't no. like lens flare, lens flare, lens flare everywhere. Well, I, but, I, I, um, I think, yeah, it's just beautiful. Yeah, like, like the 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 cinema, cinematography of the of the vessels, I think is is definitely from the uh, two thousand nine and and beyond and into darkness uh, level because it were. Well, one, just like the simple thing of like 
we're in space. We don't always have to show the ship facing upright with the other ship looking yeah. straight at it or whatever. Like we have lots of shots of the them upside down yeah. or we're sort of yeah. like looping looping over them, which is great. Did 2009 the, get the that? depth of space? Yeah, t- 2009 was absolutely... Like it, it, when I remember one of the things that came came across me when I watched 2009 is I just wanted... I wanted them to remaster TNG and like just show the damn Enterprise upside down. Show it at a weird <laughs> angle. Like like give me some lens lens flares. Like I'll watch those episodes uh, and be so excited about that. But like the like uh, I'm even uh, even uh, like as we said, I'm currently watching Beyond and and it looks like the 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 way that the ships look there. That there's not a a significant like quality drop that happens when you go to Discovery. Like we we are actually in movie quality, uh, yeah. uh, ship yeah. rendering. The the design of the USS Discovery is based on a unused Ralph McQuarrie design for um, a USS Enterprise ship from yeah. an unproduced film called Star Trek: Planet of the Titans. I, uh, I bet that would have been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, they they literally went back and used some an old design, but they have updated a lot of the visuals. Of course, mm-hmm. the uniforms I think being the one kind of more enterprisey element or TV show enterprisey yeah, element. Yeah, yeah, Rather than original series, uh, Brian Fuller wanted more colorful uniforms, and he got overruled once he left. So we have this kind of um, militaristic jumpsuity feel, but with gold braids. I think they look great. I did they have to do. come yeah, around to them. Absolutely so. do. Um, the, I think the thing that I want to talk about just a little bit with the writing before we jump into specifics is, and I apologize because I think I get the feeling all of you really love this episode and I really did not. And <laughs> one of my, the reasons is I remember watching this the first time being incredibly confused by the end of it as to what was happening and why things were happening in the order they were. And going back through a lot of the old pilots that we have in the past few weeks, I have come to appreciate them more. I've been like, the, mm-hmm. the emissary is a great example. Um, even Broken Just emissary. Bowl. Yeah, right, emissary. Not the emissary. I haven't watched that one, <laughs> clear. We am saving that for for a podcast sure. series yeah. we're going to call. It's not the episode you think it is. Um, anyway, um, but... So I was hoping that when I went back and watched this, things would make more sense and I would I would find myself appreciating it more in terms... But I think one of my problems is this it's, it, it's written at a frenetic pace and it jumps around a bunch. There are some flashbacks thrown in at random moments that I don't really understand what they're doing necessarily. And just just one other thing i think as a whole which is i think this episode is massively trying to do and in fact Har- i i thought it was trying to do it and then i read that the harberts and berg said that they wanted the audience to be able to empathize and understand what why michael burnham was doing what she was doing and it utterly failed for me with that and i think that's part of the reason is because of the pacing in star trek mm-hmm. 2009 we saw spock getting in an extended sequence of flashbacks getting annoyed at the vulcans and we understand why he's in Starfleet. We understand why he's emotionally compromised with his mother dying. With this, we don't find out until three quarters of the way through that Burnham's parents were killed by the Klingons. That she... And it's kind of this weird, quick, you know, learning dome flashback of the Klingon. Like, she's unable to make... But to me, the core element is why does Burnham turn against her captain in mutiny? And I just, by the end of this episode, I'm sitting there scratching my head. It took me a really long time, even this time, to figure it out. 
and it it I feel like the pace is the mistake. I don't I think the elements perhaps are there for me, but it just mm. jumps around so much from Klingons to humans, humans to Klingons. They don't like stick with a thread long enough to explain it. Like for most of the first episode, I was like, "Who is Takuma? What is he doing? Why does he hit the Federation?" Like, just well, jump, I feel like just they could have spent in. more. Oh, go ahead, Rudy. Yeah, yeah, I think the problem, Notch, is is uh, Michelle Yeoh and them yanking her away and trying to pivot us behind, um, you know, uh, uh, Burnham, and that doesn't work. It just doesn't because they're they've built that relationship up front and. We we actually rather than empathizing with Burnham, we start feeling betrayed, as Philippa Giorgio does, and so what what I liked about the episode is is part of the pace and not knowing who the Klingons are, and we're trying to we're getting insights into you know those flashbacks, and there's this dude who is trying to unite the factions, and that's not a good thing for us. Um, we also know that Burnham has good intel on how to react or how to you know, engage the Klingons, but necessarily attacking them. We're still going to rationalize that. Um, and so I get the, I get your pace point, but I feel the problem is um, Burnham had the tools to use her information given to her in a much better way. And if they had, if they had just sunk that in, because it's almost like Saru and Burnham, they complement each other really well. When Saru's making some stupid you know, thought process discussions, Burnham helps out. And when Burnham's like, oh, but we must attack. So it was like, what are you doing, man? Like that, that's not how stuff works, even keeping the captain out. So I think the pace in the first, first half and leading up to the actual engagement is okay. And it's meant to be jumpy, but then they, how, how they execute Burnham's decisions. I have still not understood that. Uh, I, I agree. I agree with you there. And I, I should also add, I'm not looking for agreement with my point of view. <laughs> I am looking for disagreement because I, it's it's something that has bugged me since the first time I watched it. I just don't understand how she leads up to that nerf pinch. Like it's just like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Like it's it Michelle, doesn't. It's Michelle, yo, what are you doing? This is like an amazing star on Star Trek. Why? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, also, I mean, off, she won't come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they, 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 they establish. Also, I think the thing that really gets to me that that irritates me a little bit is that they establish the two of them as having served together for seven years, and mm. we get to this point. And I just, I think that there could have been more done. And I, I Emily, your point about like the scene where they're talking about her human side and mm. her. Vulcan side, I think that's the scene that you're talking about, but I don't, maybe I'm, I don't. No, I'm actually not. I, though I have, you have it quoted in here, and I have it all quoted in my notes that I took too. Okay. Uh, I just didn't transfer. But no, there were two, there were, the scene that I feel um, informs how we're supposed to understand her throughout the rest of the series is actually when they have the mind meld scene across the universe or whatever oh across God. the galaxy oh it's a God. crazy weird scene and i don't yeah. understand it and it's dumb but i feel like the reason they put that scene in there was to tell us why michael burnham does the things she does because we don't understand we're like what the hell are you doing like like why i mean i, I think they were trying to explain it because i need to find out where it is here um where uh Sarek says to her that um that Burnham is gifted and brave. Oh, he first he says he cannot abide wasted resources. 
which mm. is a really gross way to look at a person. Um, but uh, and then says that Burnham is gifted and brave and that she can find a way to be of help to those who need her. And, you know, he risks himself to tell her this. But I'm like, oh, my God, that's why Burnham does all the things that she does for the next three seasons is because Sarek told her she's special in a, a you know, transgalactic uh mind meld that yeah. somehow trans you know <laughs> yeah. it transpired it starts- over space and time and like I, i'm not saying it was a good scene but it was just like it's like that's why yeah. she does it it's because he told her that she was special and so now she needs well, to go and, and do all these crazy things i will say like there is that there is a great quote at the end that i i think you know like does short shore that up where it's uh no matter your shame gather your strength find a way to help those who need you uh, which, yeah, that that's like that is how uh, Michael perceives all people uh, through all, almost all the way through season three is that everyone else needs her. Without her, they're not going to be able to do things uh, correctly or. or but she whatnot. never consults them, right? And how she's helping. And I think I've traced it back to yeah. one point where it starts. It is where she says, "Hey, I need to leave the bridge." And I'll get back to you. That makes no sense. He's not even had that mind. She should have just said, hey, I need a two minute conversation in a ready room um, or something like that. And why would you leave the bridge? That makes no sense. And and it just just happens again and again and again. Right. Seven years, seven years. They've worked together as captain and first officer. And she doesn't she can't tell the captain, hey, I think we should talk to Sarek about this because he has, you know, it it, Mm. to me, like, it's just it doesn't like they don't match. But I think the other thing yeah. that really irritates me about the characters on this is so Burnham's doing things that I don't understand. Sarek is a huge penis for some reason. Like, I don't... He is He's such a, a dick. He's the cause of the war. The Vulcans are. It's not the humans or the Klingons. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, just... I disagree. I, I think that it... I think that if, if uh, Burnham had successfully uh, gotten them to fire on the Klingons, I think that it might have humiliated Takuvma and made the war not happen. That's a really, yeah, that's, I mean, that's disable that ship. Disable that's that cool. ship, right? I, like, I, yeah, I like, think yeah. that I think that that the the lesson from this episode is that Burnham should have done those things and should have succeeded, yeah. and we and we well, would and have saved all those lives. So, all of the things that she said were going to happen, one hundred percent happened because they yes, didn't do what she thought they the should. But then that's why you justify the thing. <laughs> No, 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 hold on. This is this is what bugs me is that she's right. It's not a problem of being right or wrong. It's a problem of her not being able to convince someone she's worked seven years with who is the most reasonable person, because Sarek's a dick. Everyone else on the ship is a dick. And like, you know, they're all like cracking mean jokes and one another. Saru is like openly contradicting her on the bridge. And you're just wondering, like, the only person who is likable here is the person with the best relationship with Burnham. And Burnham cannot like convince this person of an obviously correct action and she has like a line to Sarek why isn't Giorgio a part of that conversation it's just part of me it just fails because it's like you take the most likable person and you make them completely like unreasonable in in this other character's head so you're just wondering like Burnham what what have you learned nothing over the last seven years of interpersonal relationships and it just is it's it's not like I don't dislike Burnham because of this. It's just discordant. It doesn't make any sense to me, to be perfectly honest. And and Giorgio is not an idiotic person. She's a starship Ooh. captain. Maybe she didn't know about that Vulcan engagement, but her logic until that point is sound, right? Like, she's not saying that we 
will you know go out in peace and and get slapped in the face or something like that she's trying to she's not trying she's trying to contain the situation right there's there's confusion on rules of engagement right um if she's explained the right way right she may choose to disable that klingon ship which is really old and messed up anyway right like i don't know that they would have they are so guided by federation principles and they're blinded by those federation yeah. principles to a fault um, mm-hmm. so I don't know that she could, that's the only thing yeah, I, I don't know that Giorgio could have been convinced to fire first. Yeah. I, and, and I, I think that it actually, so I, I agree that maybe they didn't show this well in the episode, but I think that it's possible that it's the seven years of getting to know Giorgio that makes Michael think I cannot share with her, uh, what I'm going to do. Like I, like, like, or, or rather mm-hmm. I, I can't, I, I have lost, I know that I will lose this argument. And so my only choice is to try to get you somewhere else and put you out of, or, or I guess she doesn't premeditate that. But once they're in the ready room, she knows that she has to take out Giorgio in order to mm. put this action through. Do y'all really think if she had fired at that ship, the Klingon ships that would already be warping in would not do anything and just leave? They, they, I don't so know it, that for it, a fact. They, they were not ready to unite. And so what they would have seen is someone who that they had no respect for just get destroyed by an old as hell Federation ship. Maybe it wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have completely destroyed the sarcophagus ship, but it would have been like, oh, what you summoned us here for no reason, just to get your ass beat, and then like, yeah, maybe they mm-hmm. start raiding uh, like Federation bases a little bit more. But I, I don't know that it would have been um, a unified uh, war that the Federation will lose. The problem is there is a really important Klingon relic in federation space and you can't get around that right you can't you can't if if the if the star if the ship had attacked um and destroyed that klingon vessel they still need to secure that relic right so i'm 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 not so sure but i, I get what you're saying adam yeah i i, I, I don't know a, that that it my my feeling is that all the kling i think they're also trying to explain all the klingons are so into kalesh in in later series because uh, that has been rekindled in them uh, s- since discovery, and it's I they they were very dismissive of a lot of these things. It w- with d- like it it was enough that it was important enough to them that they knew that they had to come when summoned. But I don't know that they were um, that that would have been so important to them without this. Okay, listener, Emily had to leave to go take care of someone else, but we'll have her share her rating uh, a little bit later in the show. Uh, Getting back, maybe it's time for us to move on just a little bit um, to maybe some things that we did like. Uh, or I, I I shouldn't say we that I liked in this episode. Let me let me start with that, and then we can discuss more of other things that happened. I thought the the idea of using a telescope on a starship was super badass because they they have this like image scrambling situation, mm-hmm. and it also helped me understand why that telescope remains on Discovery later because it's in the it's in the uh, ready room, right? Like they have that telescope again in the future, I think. So I, I I appreciated seeing that just just from the element of like this is something cool to include. Yeah. I also have to give credit to the dialogue on this show. Um, it 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 seems contemporary. It doesn't seem like it's tech, like overly techno babbleish. It doesn't seem stilted and weird. It just it flows. It seems like people that we can relate to on a starship. Which maybe isn't necessarily realistic, but uh, if if Starfleet was a thing that happened three hundred years from now, but uh, 
I feel like I, I I feel like the the show's kind of attitude is very relatable. I don't know if y'all agreed with that. Yeah, I I I think I I agree on one point. So I, I, absolutely in this uh, pilot, yeah, I, the techno babble is is pretty minimal, and I and I feel like it's mostly intelligible. I I think that uh, in the actual series, especially once we get into like the Paul Stamets arena. And, and Tilly, like, we just go Let's not go off there. the rails. But, yeah. Let's not they, get into the mycelial network just yeah, yet. Yeah, So I'm just the, talking about just, just the pilot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, just doing the, we're just doing the pilot. And it's, uh, I, I agree that it's a, the, the, the crew has a, um, we're able to have dialogue between people who aren't just archetypes. And it's, it, yeah, these, and it's, they've also managed to, because we talked about Enterprise, that people were more relatable to each other and that it, uh, but it, it suffered to some degree because um, the characters are kind of all the same except for the Vulcan one. Uh, and and it's uh, here, it's at least we it, it feels like we're OK, not explaining absolutely everything about a character, but they can also have a say in a particular scene or like they can have a reaction that you'd be like, this person would react that way. But it's not because like they're the wisecracking doctor or whatever. Right. Yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't explore the background crew at all. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not the purpose of this. Detmer is the only real holdover in the future. Uh, the other helmsman, Connor, gets to show up in the Mirror Universe, but Maulik Pancholi's doctor is dead at the end of this. Um, <laughs> Giorgio is dead. and, and all, I mean, it's interesting because they have a fully fleshed out bridge crew. They have, a, they have one with a robotic head. They have one who's got that kind of like the Lobot from Star Wars kind of situation yeah. <laughs> happening. Uh, and But we don't learn anything about them. Uh, Saru is the one that we kind of get the most about, which, by the way, did y'all notice Saru had a weird clicking noise that he in- integrated into his portrayal? Um, yeah. It was, it was, it's, it goes away, obviously, later on. I don't know how much longer he holds on to it, but it's, it's gone uh, later in the, the series, but he he is portrayed as a little bit more alien in that way, and he's also the only character who gets the kind of expositional. Here's my entire species and who we are. I'm going to explain yeah. it to you, so I understand why. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thankfully we 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 restricted it to just one character, uh, but it wouldn't have been Star Trek without someone shouting their backstory. So <laughs> yeah, so Saru Saru drew the 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 short end of the the short straw <laughs> in that situation, so he got to do that. Um, I will say, sorry, just to interrupt, I will say that um, going back to the techno babble, I think the whole setup in the sensor glitches and the motion in which they send Burnham out, right? The, the timing, the countdown, you have 19 minutes, all of it makes sense. It's so logical. Even if yeah. you go a little bit before that in, in the intro sequence, right? Um, you have um, a suit with hands, right? That it's it's all tangible. It's all relatable. So I think it's 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 a continuously growing sense of hey, we're not talking about quantum neutrino mycelial whatever, yeah. right? So <laughs> it, 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 yeah. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. That that does connect also with with uh, how an enterprise felt a, a lot more tactile with a, a lot of the the uh, sort of technology that you saw around the ship, and this show absolutely uh, uh, pulled that that through. So yeah, like what you're talking about, of like the attention to detail of like what this that the you know the purpose of different parts of like the spacesuit and uh, things like that, and it there's a there's a thoughtfulness to the design here that is just uh, I think really well done. 
Uh, I want to also touch on the intro as something that I love about this series. Um, it took me a while to like the music, but I yeah, don't really same. like it. In initially, you know, you heard that like bee, it, it kind of sounds very much like it, it's a TOS type sound, mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. get that like uh, I think it's it's a string based intro mostly. Uh, right, I'm not much on mu- yeah. a music person. It's too bad Emily has left us because she could explain all this, I think, perfectly. But uh, we, we get that sound, and we get all those beautiful 2D visuals. Um, yeah, I really like it. I really like it. I like with it what they've done with it later on, of course. But even even just here, it is it is distinctive. Um, could have used more lyrics from Patch Adams, though. I don't know what y'all think about that. Well, I, I mean, were, were we there was there it. more than one song featured in Patch Patch Adams? Maybe they just kind of ran out. They tapped it. Let me let me. Uh, this is this is interesting because now I want to know if, if from the Patch Adams soundtrack, which <laughs> which song would we have used for this series? Um, here we go. There are ten songs. Faith of the Heart by Rod Stewart is already taken. Sadly, otherwise that would have been a good one. Um, let It Rain by Eric Clapton could have been a good song to include mm. in, in Star Trek Discovery. Um, and Carry just, just On like by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, as long as they just, like, say space every once in a while and, like, replace a couple of things with, like, a, a, yeah. a, a federation of whatever. And, yeah, it'd be perfect. Yeah, look, look at this. The rain is falling through the mist of sorrow that surrounded me. The sun could never thaw away that bliss that lays around me. Could be a great theme. I think. I think we need to get Russell Watson and uh, get him I'd, into. I'd record. replace sorrow with discovery, and then you're <laughs> watching this show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. Discovery season four coming with a new theme song. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I, I you know you see those fantastical scenes of a little like creature reaching out trying to grab discovery. Yeah. You see the phaser. Rudy talked about the gloves. Um, and there's the, the like... knife that uh, just kills Giorgio. Uh, so, uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I really like it. I like, the, I like the font that they use for the Discovery logo, too. That's pretty neat. But mm-hmm. um, so, okay. So I, I some things that I liked and I wanted to emphasize. Um, but but getting back to now the storyline, uh, what, what did y'all think about the, the portrayal of the Klingons? Not not in the, like what they were trying to achieve and, and the big picture, but in the scenes aboard the Klingon ship. So I, I, I will agree with uh, kind of a later criticism I, I saw of the series is that uh, a lot of the Klingon scenes are just uh, people standing around in a crazy amount of makeup, not moving, but just like saying words that we're not certain that the actors actually understand what they're saying because it is in Klingon. Uh, and the sort of the, I, I got, I was really interested in them because of lore reasons, but I don't know if uh, their portrayal of like how they're acting was, was very uh, compelling or well, or really even just well done um, because it, it, like there's there's so much that went into like oh yeah like look how cool their their uniforms look and like how how interesting their their uh, heads are now but it's uh, there's it you there's not a dynamic uh, sort of I I, I guess mm-hmm. the 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 easy talking that we see the dialogue that we see between people on the Shenzo uh, we do not see that <laughs> on the Klingon ships. Uh, it's just lots of making proclamations and speeches to each other. Yeah, I mean, and, and let's 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 tackle that speech issue 
on its own for just a second because ever it, it is jarring to have complete Klingon scenes, right? With with subtitles that we have to read. And I mean, you think about like Deep Space Nine's Soldiers of the Empire where Worf and Dax are sent on a Klingon warbird and serve and Dax is supposed to be, have spent a lot of time attached to the Klingons. So she knows how to speak Klingons, but everything's in English, right? Like we mm-hmm. don't... We don't have it be like, cop, cha, cop, pop, pop, pop. And like, you know, as you can tell, I don't speak Klingon. I apologize for that, dear listener. If you do, you should feel proud of that. I hope you can tell us if their speech was correct. I believe some, I read somewhere that the Klingon was immaculate. So take that for what you will. But we don't see that same Soldiers of the Empire type situation here. We're, we're made to read the subtitles. What did y'all think about that decision? Rudy, were you, were you in with that or did you like it, dislike it? I think... I think there was some value in extended Klingon conversation and there's snippets that we are meant to recognize where like the way they pronounce Kalos, right? It's like a Kalosh or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and then when they switch to English where, you know, where he's he's conversing either with um, his Starfleet counterparts or he, you know, makes fun of we come in peace. Mm-hmm. It, it gives, I think it gives us as viewers, uh, you know, backing humanity as wow, they, they really know us and they're so alien, but they know us, so they have an advantage. So I think there was some value there. They, they were, um, yeah, that, that's all I'll say about speech. I have some other thoughts on, on the interiors and the stuff that they showed, but I felt the speech worked a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, and I, that, that's a good point. The, the, the switch to English was very purposeful and I, and I thought was effective. And, I, and I, it's, it kind of goes to that. I think that Takuvma is the best Klingon that they had and then they also killed him. Uh, so we, we just like created two <laughs> extremely interesting characters and like, what if, or like, I guess maybe it shows us how like serious they are about like, this is a dark uh, Star Trek because we're going to create like really great, great characters and murder them immediately. So no one is safe. But yeah, and I, I, I'm split on the on the text issue myself. Just to be honest, I don't, I haven't, I don't know if I have an, a full opinion on it. It did, I feel like, stretch some scenes and make them seem a little bit longer than they were, just to have them be in like because Klingon is such a slow language mm-hmm. that I feel like it, it made the scenes just stretch out and feel longer than they necessarily were. But I think to your point about Takuvma, it's interesting. You know, I, I like Takuvma. I just, again, it's the same problem as I had with Burnham, where I just feel like if they had given him a little bit more back-to-back so that we as a viewer could understand where he's coming from, I think mm. he would have been a little bit more of a compelling character emotionally. Because I spent most of this episode being like, who is this and why is this person acting the way they are? And so I couldn't connect with what was happening necessarily on the screen. And... It, you know, when you see him, like, getting beaten up by, uh, you know, other Klingons on his, like, ancestral ship, maybe we could have a three-episode prologue where some of it is Takuma, like, rebuilding yeah. that ship and getting in the air and getting to the point at which he has all these people listening to him. So I think that there's a lot of good stuff there, and I completely agree. It's a, it's a total waste to kill him because what we're left with then with Laurel and Voke are... Uh, poor imitations uh, of, yeah. of Takuma and and I don't think that the relationship there again with Vogue we don't we don't see enough of Takuma and Vogue's relationship in my mind to really establish what then Vogue becomes later on yeah <laughs> and and there's a I think that there is an interesting storyline to to reveal or or whatnot uh, to have 
the sort of the the rebellion that continues after its its founder is is killed but they they kind of they i feel like they drop the ball on all of these cases like yeah it's it's interesting to have voke be the the uh the torchbearer without having uh sort of any further teachings but like we d- like I, 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 we don't really delve into these things so much yeah, it seems, I mean, even that Torchbearer stuff was so sudden. Like, suddenly yeah. we've gone from, like, Takuvma telling us some, like, philosophical stuff to, like, we're here now, and we've set off the beacon, and this dude is going to be in a sarcophagus attached to the ship. It's just, like, the pace is so fast that I yeah. feel like a lot of this cool stuff didn't have time to breathe, and I didn't have time to, like, take yeah. it in and actually, like, feel the feelings. Which is why when Rudy at the start of this episode was, like, they were establishing them as a vicious enemy. I was like, oh, duh. Okay. Yeah. I get it now. Like that makes yeah, a lot we, of sense. We, we we needed to have se- several scenes establishing like what frustrates him about the empire. Like what why does he feel like the Klingons have lost their way and and not like that I got beat up by some 12-year-olds when I was also right. a kid. And that's yeah, why I hate the Federation. Like it, it, it's a lot of co- you know combining Ensign Ro Kira Tom Paris kind of gripe on disturbed backgrounds even a little bit of you know Khan in there and mm-hmm. um, you know that's that's Takuma and then they try to also like through a quick mirror say it's somebody who felt like an outcast because of Vogue right uh, in, in House mm-hmm. of None. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot being done there. But again, I think I think they're trying to show that there's an alien race. I actually want to call out that I think there's a lot lot of similarities to how they uh, showcase the and I'm forgetting this right now the the main alien race um, in Stargate as being oh. there's a bit of sarcophagus stuff as well, right? Like with the closing coffins and all of that. Um, it, it's a sense of dread and doom, right? There's this powerful alien race that um, is 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 we don't understand, and, and they are technologically strong. So, yeah. And then they don't think of anything else; they just leave it at that. Yeah, and I think if if we had, I feel like a little bit more to go on, we'd also appreciate the redesign a little bit more because I think people got so wrapped up in the redesign, and then they yeah. weren't given enough other threads and that became the topic of conversation rather than here's all this cool stuff that they're also doing you guys um i wanted to talk about the hinge so there are a couple of hinges on this right like the one hinge happens when burnham decides to go off the rails and rudy you referenced that earlier when she goes off and talks to sarek the other hinge that occurs is when burnham frees herself from the jail cell which by the way michael burnham outsmarting a computer like give me a fucking break like i just i'm sorry i get very frustrated with some of the things that i saw and my notes are filled with just a lot of like why and what is happening and i don't understand none of this makes anyway that was one of the moments where i was like (sighs) they're trying too hard like the computer cannot be that stupid it's it's so it's so silly and i get what you're saying it was, it was just one of those moments where I'm just like, I don't understand, like, why this was necessary. Anyway, I'm going to move on now. Oh, by the way, one other thing. Why does Connor go to the brig and show up and he's like, I'm hurt. Look at me. I'm hurt. And then, like, you know, he the, the, like he's going to the medical bay, but he just inexplicably stops by the brig and then dies. And it's just like, he could have been... Sh- anyway, I'm going to stop now. Because I can <laughs> go on this tangent far too far. 
But I think the other hinge that I was talking about is when Burnham frees herself and she and George, she convinces Giorgio to go over to the Klingon ship with the two of them together, which questionable decision. Why not five of them going together? Like, you know, I, uh, yeah, the, I, I, the ship that like the ship is not going to be going anywhere. Like, let's take everyone that we can. I, I right. my inner lore that I had was like, oh, the ship doesn't have enough power to send more than two people. So if you think that, working? then we're, we solved it. <laughs> Aren't they supposed to be working on impulse drives? Um, do you get away from there if there's a explosion? And then the explosion just breaks the neck of the Klingon ship. I, I was confused when that happened. I thought the whole ship was going to go with that one photon um, torpedo. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what she no, told Saru though, right? Like, hey, you go... This isn't generations. You, you can't blow up an entire Klingon ship with a single torpedo. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, that, so that, that happened right before the scene I'm talking about is where they, where they, where it's like tactical advisors, they have coordinates on a slain Klingon officer. Wow. That's a lot of very detailed stuff. Like, you know, this person's an officer and not like a cook, you know, you haven't seen Klingons for a while, but anyway, <laughs> anyway that was, again, that being beyond the point, the, in the scene, uh, my headcanon was that Saru's like, what are y'all doing? Take 10 of us with you. And then Burnham's like. Sorry, this is the script for this episode, and it says only me and George Jogo. I'm sorry, like there's it's nothing. It's not tragic I can do. enough if if right. uh, we ten of us go over and only one of us dies, or yeah, right. like the math just doesn't work out. So that's that's the other hinge on this episode, which I think uh, it changes the the trajectory of what's happening. And part of me th- wonders with both of these hinges why retreat was not an option because I feel like both of them would have not occurred. If Giorgio had been like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Let's just hightail it back. We're clearly outmatched. Let's leave. This is after the explosion, you mean? Or even in the beginning? But Just I, either point, if they had decided to leave. After the battle. After the battle. Yeah, ni- n- neither of those things would have happened. And there's, there's a line, actually, Giorgio says, this is Federation space. Retreat is not an option. Yeah, and, I, and that's I, in the very I, beginning. Right. And I was like, why? Why is retreat not an option? There's two colonies nearby, only three light years away. Didn't she mention that? Like she one. She did mention that later, like much later. But I, I, it, I just didn't. I still didn't like. Yeah, they're gonna be in danger, but evacuate them. Like it's you can't start a galactic conflict. Like is that more preferable? I think they didn't understand the gravity of the fact that this was one huge bait. That was never. There was again. It's going back to what I was saying before. Takuma is really lucky that he found an irresistible Klingon relic inside Federation <laughs> space, right? Like, if that was not Fair the enough. case, everything falls apart. Everything falls apart, right? Yeah, because um, yeah, George O would have, if they were outside of Federation yeah. space, would be like, oh, we're, we're not even supposed to be here. Whatever. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get why retreat is not an option because it sets a precedent for, you know, wishy-washy borders it may set a precedent for other aggressors potentially all of that um i also get why i actually love burnham's rationale on capturing takuma because now he's got mm-hmm. that semi-guard status again to your point send more people to capture him the goal is to not let the klingon empire unite against the federation give them somebody else to unite again against or or you know uh, throw a spanner in that unity by by capturing uh, this person so i get why that was because if if they just left then you have them united behind takuvma and that 
Klingons are not somebody you want to kid around with, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I feel there's value in not retreating or even kidnapping Takuma, but they could have just done it better. Yeah, Burnham is absolutely right in that that whole scene. And what we get just just after that point is Giorgio kind of explaining, finally, we understand what Giorgio's whole reason for taking Burnham was. And we get that, this is after that weird flashback where we see Burnham in that like red Vulcan outfit yeah. coming on. And do I want to go into why she was immediate first officer and whether that's believable or should we just leave that behind? I, was she immediately the first officer? I just saw that as uh, this is her coming on as like a, a cadet and then like let's take a tour of the bridge okay. and then seven years later you are the first officer i i, okay. I think that she it's or at least in my feeling i think she became first officer sometime in that seven years okay okay i can believe that i can believe it. let's let's leave that as the as the version of what happened yeah um and and giorgio said i when you first came aboard i worried your vulcan training might someday trump your humanity uh she took her on because she apparently Sarah came to her because she was she had also experienced loss. Giorgio had, mm-hmm. which we finally get referred to in season three of Discovery, with Mirror Universe Giorgio. So you wonder if Prime Universe Giorgio had something similar happen to her, um, with with that uh, mm. the name she was crying out, and. What an ego I had thinking I could pro- pick away the shell the Vulcans put around you. I was so sure I could do it, even convinced that you were ready for the captain's chair, which is, again, listening to this line. This was why I thought Emily was referring to this scene, because now mm. I'm like, okay, that's why Michael's captain. Of course, she had to be. It's referenced right in like the hinge scene of like the, the, the pilot. Even and then, in the br- desert, right? Um, yeah. She she, mentioned- yeah, she's, yeah, the desert, she says, like, we should talk about it. But I feel like that's... Uh, that that's happened other times in Star Trek. It, it, this is a more mm-hmm. I thought, thought emotionally resonant mention. Mm-hmm. And then with Burnham says, "You want to know how I turned on you? I believe saving you and the crew is more important than Starfleet's principles. Was it logical, emotional? I don't know. Let me deliver the warheads in your place." I like where they were going with that scene, except then they. I feel like the writers couldn't make sense of what Burnham had done, whether it was the Vulcan side or the human side that had done those things. And so they just kind of were like, we give up, so we're going to say Burnham is giving up. And I feel like there could have been a more compelling thing there about how the Vulcan side had trumped the human side and how she had let all the humans down because of that, if that makes sense. I, I don't know. I just I just felt like unsatisfied with that uh, humanity versus Vulcanity yeah argument and 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 i like we we also talked about this when we uh started the uh season three of discovery i it feels like over time that the series has been trying to work through like let's just forget the whole vulcan part of of burnham's personality she's more interesting as a human and uh it's yeah i that that does feel like a um we shoehorned in this connection to spock because like no one's going to watch her show unless she's Spock's sister. Um, and then we we kind of didn't do much with it besides, like, have a weird transgalactic uh, telepathy thing going on with... Like, like, you didn't need to do any of the... Like, we could have just had, like, she calls him on the telephone. And then, like, when things are really bad, he, like, emer- gets an emergency signal into her to, like, or whatever... 
<laughs> what, what if what if she had been like emergency contact blah blah channel and then Sarek shows up his pants are down and he's on the toilet like hey what are you doing <laughs> this is can, not can you just call back in a few minutes like this is a bad time um, that, that would be uh, if this was uh, lower decks <laughs> I, I just want to say I never got the humanity side if this is what they were trying to portray the humanity side of being possessive of people really close to you is more human than Vulcan. And so for the greater good is, I mean, humanity is all about extending in peace. And and if you get hit on the face, if you get punched on the nose, then you react and you come back and you turn around. That's, that's humanity. That's Starfleet principles. So I don't even know, like I got confused on why that possessiveness was, was implicated on humanity. That's not the best that humanity has to offer. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I, I recognize I'm being very negative. So, Bowen, you, you, you mentioned earlier you really liked this episode. Are there things that you want to like? I I really did not want this to happen where I, I steered us towards things I hate. And <laughs> I ruined our ratings. We, we're all going to notch our ratings like, down. <laughs> I, I guess it gets a 2 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> but, but seriously, though, I don't want that to be the narrative of this discussion. No. Is like we all this, hate it. Yeah, the setup yeah, no, was really I, good. Go yeah, ahead, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, honestly, for, for me, it's, uh, I, I just basically, so I, I love a lot of the Star Trek villains that we, that we get throughout the years, but I, and I, and I, the ones that are, are my favorites are ones that try to get in, well, one that you like might slightly agree with them, or at least like know what the hell they're, where the hell they're coming from on things. So like, uh, Soren is, is, is great because like you can understand why someone would mm-hmm. want something that like if you have the chance to like literally go to heaven, like, yeah, you might be able to, you might be willing to kill people to like re-experience that or, or things like that. But I, I want, uh, if, especially if Star Trek is this show that is all about like, or at least part of it is about like the philosophy and about the morality and like, let's sort of like have interesting discussions and, and delve into things. What we need is a compelling argument against the Federation. Like why is the Federation bad? What, what are the things that that we have just sort of taken for granted as like we're high minded and have evolved sensibilities and all these things like show us why that's wrong. And so mm-hmm. like I, I felt like this pilot, even though I think that they dropped the ball completely later on, it it gave us a glimpse of like, what if we could start exploring like what's wrong with the Federation and how how is our response inappropriate for uh, this sort of continued expansion and some of that also happens in in beyond. Uh, I've now finished the movie, so I can uh, uh, <laughs> I can be like more uh, pay pay better attention to this conversation. But like, uh, uh, crawl in that is a similar is a Takuma like character in the sense of like he has uh, he's on the the edges of of the Federation and has a a reason to hate it. I think that in beyond they also sort of like I don't know he just thinks that like strength is good. Uh, but it's, it's just, I, I feel like this show is starting to get into that area of, uh, like, why should I care about this timeline? And I think they set it up really well. It's just that they, he then deleted his notes and threw him or threw the computer in the fire or something. Uh, and all they had left was like, uh Oh, we better get back to TNG. Uh, how do we do that? I, I wanted to add that the way they set up the Klingons and the Federation in, well, obviously Takuma has got a, um, 
a, a vested devious interest here. Keeping aside that that relic luckily showed up on Federation space, in Federation space, I actually still feel that no matter what, um, this was this was going to end badly, right? Whether people mm-hmm. killed each other or not. Um, uh, and that's what that's what intrigued me because it set up a situation where you're like, what's happening next? How is the Klingon um, Empire going to respond? Um, and we've, we've seen large-scale battles in, in previous series. So that was what was appealing to me. The execution of Burnham making sense of her information and processing it through her crewmates is a complete mess, right? Mm-hmm. But the setup was really good. And and yeah, that that's that's what I what, what I really like about Trek in general, right? Um, it, I I don't think in a, in any possible scenario, um, anybody could have gotten out of there without a conflict, and I don't think the Federation could have lived with itself in attacking a Klingon ship and leaving. Right? I don't know how the heck the Vulcans did that every time they met a new Kling, Klingon ship. I don't know what that was all about. That was a little weird, but it was logical. Um, <laughs> You know, I, right? I, I mean, uh, I, th- I think that it, it, Enterprise, at least, gets into that idea of uh, the Vulcans were very different people from how we think of the Vulcans now. Like, a, a lot of the, the high-mindedness and, and, and whatnot is, is actually sort of the fusing of all of the cultures into the Federation, and that each individual species on their own did not have that. So I, 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 I feel like it's believable that a few hundred years before the the Vulcans would have been completely fine just firing on the Klingons whenever they came across them. Also, there's a little bit of confusion in what an exploration ship means versus a military ship and Starfleet. Like Siri says, we're explorers, mm-hmm. but you're looking at a damaged sensor at the edge of Federation space that you know boundaries Klingon space, I'm assuming. So then why do you even go there? Do you not just go with some backup because you're not spoken to the Klingon in a hundred years? So Well, it's it's not I think it's not clear that it was foul play uh when they first right. get there. Because they they're invested like, is this just an asteroid that did this? Or uh and it's it's sort of once they discover that there's something wrong at the edge of the system that they start delving into, like, is there something bigger going on? There's um I think another thing that I, I'll just say that i thought was kind of interesting an interesting choice that i liked was them starting with a ship that isn't discovery and so we see a different crew and a different ship it kind of gives you that you know i've talked about how i like the lore of star mm-hmm. trek sometimes so i i feel like this beacon to something else the lives of other people is something that i appreciate um and so it was, it was an interesting artistic choice even though i thought that they could have done a little bit more to make that other crew a little bit likable I think that they were, it was pretty neat. I'll, again, just give a shout out. I mentioned his name for Malik Pancholi, who plays Jonathan on Star Trek, or on, on 30 Rock, in several seasons of 30 Rock. Jack Donaghy's assistant is the doctor. And I really wish he'd had more. I mean, he, Kalpa, I, ju- I didn't connect that until just now. Wow. <laughs> Kalpa is a great doctor. And, and so no, no, no hate to the, the eventual choice they went with, but like, uh, I I love seeing South Asians in Star Trek, so it's great. Speaking of which, Voke in this episode played by one Javed Iqbal. Uh, that's Shazad Latif under a, 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 a Zoom name because they were trying uh, to hide. I that forgot Volk... that they did that whole uh, that whole trickery. Uh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yep. So they they wanted him to. They, so they're setting up that he's going to become Ash Tyler right away. And so, so that was that was the tr- the the case here. It wasn't clear to me if if the the female Klingon in there is Mary 
Kiefel playing Laurel. Do you all know? Have you all looked that up at all? I, th- I think it is. Because it, it kind of seemed like it. Um, I just want to, I'm going to check. I forgot to check on this right before we recorded. I was, that was my plan, but I uh, I didn't. Uh, yep, yep. She is Yeah, Yeah, because she, she has like the white uh, uh, suit or whatever. And I, and I think that's carried through. Yep. Okay. All right. Terrific. And um, yeah, so I, I think, I think, I think I like a lot of the kind of the setting a lot mm-hmm. on the on this on this episode so all right with with that i'll just make one other point of something i don't like which is the why takuma asks his klingon ships to leave he's like everything's done bye see ya i don't need backup anymore and it's you know and they go they listen to him like he's suddenly like guard status well, I, I, but he, he delivered them this great victory so I, I i get why they would like say like why they would leave at that point but like when he asks but yeah i i think that is it's a decent point of like, wait, why are we? You want to secure know, the relic, it. right? There's more Starfleet ships coming. They're not going to retreat. I don't know. But the thing but is, I, I, I don't know that uh, uh, it it is it is important that they that they he used the relic. I don't know that the Klingons are off. I I, I don't know. I, I I don't buy that the relic itself is necessarily the thing that they care about. It's uh, it's sort of like. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. The, 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 the mm. person who is most concerned about it, uh, tradition is Takuvma. And uh, f- certainly for him, the relic was very important. Uh, and I, I think that... Um, I don't know. It, it feels like we're reading a little too into things if, if, we, if we feel like everyone else cares about these things as deeply as he does. Because it, like, we would have had a unified empire before then. He's uh, yeah, and it's it's. I feel like this is one of those things that's not the biggest issue I have with this episode. It's just one of those things that's like kind of a Deus Ex Machina, very convenient. They all left, <laughs> just the yeah, right time yeah. for the shed. So, um, I lied. One of the last thing. Why is the court martial so like dim and dark? Like, shouldn't courts be like bright and well lit so everyone can like understand the justice is like transparent instead well, of like this like. You, you see, the, the the explanation for that in a deleted scene is that they had ejected their warp core because they needed <laughs> to assist uh, the ships that were coming back from the battle at the Binary Stars. And so there just uh-huh. wasn't enough lights left on to be able to have the court in a full lit place. All right. One final thing now before we move on to ratings, which is reflections on the rest of Discovery after watching just this episode. Um... I'll just say one thing, which is I I don't want to watch the next episode, but I think I need to, to try and, like, remember more of what they did with the setup. Um, but I... It is strange how discordant and confusing this episode was in my head, and, and I feel like a lot of the rest of season one, I had the same kind of confused feeling where I was sometimes I was just sitting there being like... I don't understand why I'm supposed to like why these characters are doing this or that. And then, you know, they take Jason Isaac's character and make him a mere universe guy. <laughs> but so I don't know if the writers necessarily knew themselves, but I, I think, you know, we've talked about how the Klingons just become a normal race later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, that team is kind of let go a little bit and resolved very quickly. So we don't really see much of the Klingon human war going forward yeah we skipped to the end of it after coming back from the uh 
the mirror universe. Right. It's how many years ago between this episode and and the next one? Do you all remember? I think it's six the, months. Six months. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The war's been going on for a little while. I know that people have died. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing that is kind of interesting to me is it does help me understand Burnham's character a little bit more to like go watch this episode and talk about it with y'all. Like I think if like, I don't know if as a casual view, I know I didn't get it as a casual viewer, but I think now that I like parse it, I see what's happening. Like I, mm-hmm. I see why some of these things are going on. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> especially as we've been talking about it, I think that this pilot is an incredible pitch for a prequel series where we have like four or five more episodes where we go through uh, Michael and Giorgio's uh, backstory. We see how Takuvma uh, like learned what that the, the Klingon Empire has lost its way. We discover that he actually placed the artifact into that uh, system. He made sure that it was going to be in Federation territory and how there's this grand planet and whatnot. And, it, and it's, instead we get uh, the rest of the series where we we get Michael from it, but we a, a lot of the rest of it is is kind of forgotten, or it feels like we get the incorrect interpretation of the, of events that's like sold through everything. Because I I get the sense that uh, even though as a viewer like watching this and I, I had the, this was my first impression also and it's still my impression. I think that Michael was correct. Like that if they had done these things, or or at the very least, even if even if it wouldn't have been successful, they should have done the things that she wanted to do. And yeah, but Michael's take, even as of the second episode or uh, sorry, the, the third episode uh, context is for Kings is that uh, she caused the war by betraying her captain, which doesn't make any sense to me. Like, so it, it's, it's just the, and, and that's why everyone hates her is because she created the war when she, there's nothing that Michael did that created this war. It the besides maybe like stabbing the the torchbearer on the on the uh, the beacon, but like a, as far as that goes, like the nothing Michael did necessarily. I guess I guess Michael killed Takuvma. Is that is that what they're talking about? Like it, I, I feel like they, they they never really delve into like why everyone thinks that she caused the hmm. war when she well, clearly did. backstabbed her. The crew probably backstabbed her. Saru went and told him. Probably, I was, which is stupid. Yeah. I agree. It makes no sense. I mean, it's it's a clear narrative, right? Like, hey, Saru, uh, Detmar, what happened? Well, our first officer decided to Vulcan nerve pinch our captain in the ready room, and then try, and then almost fired on the Klingon ship without permission, and that set off a course of events that. Yeah, and then the and then the Klingons fired on us and killed a whole bunch of people, and yeah, right. And then, and then Burnham convinced uh, her to, uh, or the captain to go over there with her. And uh, anyway, it's, I, but I think you're right that it's not quite as, like, I could understand why someone could spin a yarn, but to us as viewers, you're right, Adam. Like, it's, it's not clear that she did it herself. Like, yeah, it's uh, really interesting. Yeah. And I, I really, you know. It's 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 weird to say this now, but like, I, I really wish that a lot of the stuff that they did in this pilot, in terms of the thematic story that they had maintained, maybe not the way this this particular story was maintained, but uh, or written, but like 
that they had given us like three seasons of the Klingon human war, kind of like the Dominion War, you know, mm-hmm. that we maintain these like vicious skull, you know, spoiler for the next episode, but human eating Klingons. Because uh, they eat Georgia, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> I had forgotten that. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're like passing around her skull or something in the oh next episode, God. as I recall. Yeah. So it, it's like, I mean, it's, it's... I wish they had done more. Like, they really had like this is why i wanted us to like talk about what they were trying to do at the end of this episode because i was like if i jump straight in and i'm like i hate it all it sucks i didn't want us to get like (laughs) lost and i wanted us to be like what are the writers trying to do Uh, i think if they had kept with that i think it would have been a good series but uh it's kind of frenetic so it's not necessarily what happens going into season one all right with that why don't we talk about ratings and again conveniently one of our number has left so emily can stick her neck out first and give this episode a rating i think i'll i think i'll give it a four um out of five because um there was no nasty misogynistic (laughs) bullcrap (laughs) because i'm not gonna swear all the time i just had to swear that one time in defense of cisco but um (laughs) there's none of that that takes place in this episode i didn't have anyone that i needed to dock i don't need to dock points from this episode because of someone's boorish behavior um and i appreciated that um and i I, I really liked I, I but I I'm I'm just sad that I that they killed Giorgio like that so it can't yeah. be ranked any higher than a four out of five because they <laughs> they got rid of one of the best characters in the whole episode and so it's like what are you what are you doing but I super appreciate that this that the opening scene with our Federation people is two women of color and they actually know how to write they're just doing a better job of fleshing out characters and doing character development for people of color. Cause we've talked about that mm-hmm. on previous episodes that it's like, Hmm, they don't know how to write for people who don't look like they do. So, um, anyway, so that's, that's my, my rating. Yeah. But Burnham's first lines are <laughs> okay. not, I'm scared, captain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm frightened. <laughs> so cool. All right. What, well, well, what what are your your ratings? Do you want me to go first since I'm so like uh, out of step? Let's give your controversial pick first. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, <laughs> I am. I was surprised and saddened by how confused I left this episode. I really wanted to like it. I wanted to give it a chance. I wanted it to like be like, ah, oh, not you were an idiot the first time you watched it. It's been many years since you'd watched Star Trek and you just turned it on randomly and didn't like it. But I'm gonna give this a three on ten, you guys. I just, I just oh, could oh. not. Wow! <laughs> I could not get there. By the end of this episode, I was just sitting there writing profanity into my notes because I was just so annoyed with everything that was happening. It just lost me completely. And I don't feel this negatively about other episodes of Discovery season one. I like, I didn't hate watching season one of Discovery. It was all right. Like it, but this episode just, I it confused me and i feel like that's one of the worst things that you can do to a viewer yeah wow, I, now think... I need to see that spreadsheet and see what your ratings for like the <laughs> the animated series were <laughs> uh, this is the lowest ever ever i think no there may be a there may be a little rating I, he might have said a two but I, I i can't remember which one i uh, i so if you I, I have the spreadsheet in front of me i gave uh the animated series pilot a five and I gave the, there was an episode of Lower Decks that I gave a 4.5. But 
But that I think that that's a four point five out of five because that was for the entire wow. season. I did not. Yeah. So that's so n- that's, not just that's... take is the animated series is better than Discovery. So there there we go. Uh, I, I think there's some. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading some ethics ratings on certain episodes. Is three on ten, but not a whole episode. Um, oh yes. So, I remember um, that part of the discussion. Yeah, and I think Notch like went into this episode and and just made that binary system go Nova and destroyed everybody, right? Like <laughs> everybody lost the Klingons, the, the Federation. I, um, I mean, again, I think if we were talking about this in terms of like setting up the series, so like mm-hmm. the uniforms, the design, the like filming and stuff, like I liked it. Like it was it it's 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 the production is good. It's just that the story is just Anyway, I'm going to yeah, stop no, now. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll pick up from there. Yeah. I was going to rate this episode um, higher uh, when I jumped into this conversation, but uh, you have you have affected us, Notch. Oh, uh, damn it. me. <laughs> you bro- but, should start with ratings. <laughs> no, damn it. <laughs> well, I did, right? I was like, really good episode, remember, in my Strange New Takes. Um, here's the problem, right? Is... is, is um television has changed over the past few um years there's an attempt to do a lot right um mm-hmm. inject complexity inject diversity inject um uh, moral dilemmas um uh, introduce politics diplomacy um and if you do a lot right um it's really important on how you execute and especially how you end it right so they started really well that's where I I held on, right? Um, I was going to give this my highest um, series pilot rating. Um, I will not. I will go ahead and give it eight slain Klingon cooks being tracked back up um, over, over 10. But I'll, I'll do that because of the setup and the fact that there's so much potential from a pilot um, in itself, if you remove the confusing decisions that Burnham made, and then they killed off uh, Michelle Yeoh, which must have really hurt a lot of viewers who were so excited to hear her voice in that um, starting desert scene. Um, so yeah, eight uh, eight slain uh, Klingon cooks, if I can say that properly. Okay, well, I'm I'm gonna stick to my guns, and I I remember what my rating was gonna be before this episode, <laughs> and it has only been galvanized in the fires of Notch's rating that uh, my rating comes forth. So, uh, for just uh, if if I imagine this pilot like off in, in its in its own universe, I, I haven't seen the rest of the series. Uh, this one's gonna get a ten for me. Uh, 10 out of 10, to be clear, Uh, because I am so excited to learn about all this new Klingon lore. I can't wait to to get some backstory into what's what's been going on with Takuvma. I think that it's I'm just so excited to have Klingons that are finally going to be different and not just about honor and and all that stuff. And I'm just I'm so thrilled that we finally have writers who are going to be able to, like, take that through and and execute just like a really compelling uh, Klingon race. And uh, for the uh, the series that ended up happening, uh, I think that it, uh, honestly that this this uh, pilot is is one of the most disappointing uh, in uh, in the series of Star Trek's because at, at the very least when other series they had like 
okay pilots or even good ones there were other good things in the in the future that this or they connected to the rest of the series in some way in some mm-hmm. interesting way this one uh is it's so good and is so interesting in ways that the series forgets about entirely so i'm going to give it but the thing is it's still good it's just the wrong pilot for this series and uh, mm. i'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 in that context which context mm. is for kings by the way I, I've heard this. I've heard this being said. Okay, so so I hear your rating just now, and it makes me wonder why what I am doing or to to prevent you from giving a ten out of ten like defense of 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 this episode to all of my negative points earlier. Because I feel like you know, I give it a three, you give it a ten. We should be like disagreeing more on stuff. I feel like I, I you know, I, I, so dear listener, I just, I'm going to commit to you right now that in the future, I'm going to do my damnedest to make that kind of, if we have this sort of like disagreement on like, to make it come out a little bit more so that you aren't just hearing me talking negative crap and that you have Adam out there banging the drum being like, this was amazing and you're an idiot and I loved it. <laughs> and... Here's the deal. We're, we all should be Starfleet captains because we know how to respect each other's views and we don't go ahead and start wars and, and we're good at diplomacy. So right. and This is how you know we're not admirals because we we didn't go in and uh, just tear notch a new one and then, uh, yeah. <laughs> See, but that's that's the problem. I, I have the Vulcan hello where I shoot. like the, every, every time an opinion comes, I fire a photon torpedo. And yeah, you're, and I, jo- yeah, you're Joe. Yeah, George Joe. Right, you need to learn how to be Burnham and give me a Vulcan nerf pinch and leave me in the ready room flailing about. (laughs) And I'll come back at the end, no, I disagree, belay that rating. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, there has to be a series about these Vulcan ships that just go about shooting Klingon ships. (laughs) Or some, some reference in Lower Decks. yeah i i mean we've we've gotten so many other different series like yeah i i want that wild west klingons or uh, vulcans just shooting everybody uh (laughs) series that sounds really interesting uh one thing i i just remembered i should mention before we forget the acting in this episode was very good like i might not have understood the writing the writing let the writers down in my opinion uh but i think the, the acting was excellent doug jones uh michelle yo michael burnham like we all know who their characters are even takuma's actor who i i haven't gone and looked who it was i think they did a great job we you know we talked previously about how characters you know who we established them to be and then who they become later i think this this did a pretty decent job of the few characters that it did establish who (laughs) they were gonna be so so I'll, i'll give a shout out to those folks right now but uh with that Thank you, Rudy. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, Emily, as well, who was here before for for joining me today. I do appreciate it. And thanks, Notch, for hosting us today. Yeah, thanks, Of course, as always. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us. Thank you, Bill, Max, and Dinah, wherever y'all are. I hope y'all are having a wonderful day and maybe enjoying watching the pilot of Discovery. Uh, Thank you to Jishnu Guha, who recorded our theme music. We, We really do appreciate it. And then uh, special thanks to the USS Shinjo 
an old ship flying around with a crew that's not gonna get we don't see much of in the future but it was nice to get a different i mean I, I, these special tanks are usually kind of like jokey but this one it's kind of nice i actually did enjoy it like i said before seeing a different ship so special thanks to uss shinjo thanks everybody we shall return next week with the pilot from star trek pickard i believe that's how it's pronounced right john, john luck pickard yes john luck pickard all right goodbye everybody Bye.